So, seem to be gradually gathering. Is this correct? Yeah. So, getting things uh, gathering together. Hopefully, coming out of some of the fragmentation, getting in touch with our bodies, our energies hearts, heart states, being able to be here more in a whole holistic way. This is our fundamental intention, the root intention. So this is, in a way, then what? Well, maybe... Nothing much more. <laughs> Just stop, you know, keep letting it settle because, uh, you know, it gets subtler and uh, quieter and you start to shift vehicles also. Recognizing your vehicle changes to things like more empathic senses what feels whole, what feels complete, what feels resonant. Mm. Subtler senses of where your energies gather, whether they're stale, whether they're tight, pushy, how to soften and ease that. Mm. So this is the basis of samatha, feeling good, feeling steady, feeling whole. Mm. You know, sometimes this aspect of practice is is uh, short is not uh, not made much of, or people think it's a kind of forcing yourself to clamp down or dull out or forceful. But it, the, the theme of samatha that the Buddha talked about was uh, how is the mind made steady? How do we get to feel steady? How do we get towards taking a rest, stopping the frantic, the compulsive? agitations, the inner conflicts, the fighting, the tearing oneself apart it's, mm, with grief or with depression or with forcefulness or with self-hatred or with ambition or with whatever. Mm. We can do this. This can come. This can happen for us. Mm. We find it gets a little less of that inner conflict, a little steadier and easier. And perhaps we might almost sense ourselves in a different way. I could feel more spacious. People say that, or I feel more quiet. My head's not rattling away, or you know, some of the compulsive structuring of our sense of self starts to dissolve. Doesn't mean we're not here. But uh, this is one of the beauties of it, is some of the, the fixity of how we've been accustomed to being starts to soften. Less need to become something. Less fear of becoming something cooler appetites on a sensory level, contentment with just passing the day. Mm. This isn't like me. 
able to enjoy my being here, able to laugh at myself, able to feel the sense of warmth, trust in the presence of other people rather than performance, competition, comparisons. This isn't like me. Good. <laughs> now, with this, there's a sense of application, isn't there? Now, applying oneself. Now, when you talk in the, in the uh, Pali language, you have it called uh, virya, uh, energy, and uh, vayamo, generally translated as effort. These two are not the same, but they are related. Now, effort, we can, as an English word, carries various nuances. Generally, it's got a grunt quality to it. <laughs> grunt, gasp, push, ugh, effort. But if we look at application of how you do uh, brain surgery requires effort, probably not a big grunt isn't a good idea. Playing a violin requires effort. Yeah. Feeding a baby requires effort. You don't just get a spoon and shove it in a thing's face. <laughs> you know, the quicker, the harder, the better. <laughs> but it does require. Well, so sometimes I think, let's take that word apart and use application instead. <laughs> It means that a, the, the, the energy crystallizes around the intention. Your energy crystallizes around an intention, right? That's effort. It means you, your energy, your intention is this, and you, you don't just think it, but there's a sense of you know, marshalling yourself, gathering your resources around that point. And we look at efforts like patience, efforts like equanimity, these are not big grunt efforts. You know, effort of loving kindness is not pump it out, you know, get the pistons going. <laughs> and yet this surely is a worthwhile application, a worthwhile intention to carry out. Yeah. So energy and effort, or energy application, they are related. But the thing to bear in mind is not... I have to make an effort, so I've got to get the energy together to make that effort. Which may be the kind of program we have running for us. I've got to get to work, so, you know, throw some coffee down, get my butt in gear, get in the, you know, get down there. I've got to make the effort, so just get that energy out there, thrash it out, you know. Got to get through, got to make the effort, so, you know, Get it going. It's not because I have to make an effort, there has to be the energy. It's because there is the energy, I can apply it. Because there is the energy, I can apply it. If you have the energy, you, don't, you can't apply it. Right? Get that clear. Energy comes first, not the other way around. The other way around is just going to rip you to pieces, right? So much so that when you come to a meditation retreat and sort of make an effort, you feel yourself collapse. Oh, no. <laughs> no more of the same, you know. Not more thrashing. So, no, actually, 
I'm not saying there's no need for application, but energy comes first. Because there's energy, then we should apply it. If we don't apply it, then either, you know, we spin out because it just starts leaking out. You've got all this juice, so it just start oozing out, you know. <laughs> or maybe you don't have much. And if, it, if there's not a lot of energy, then the very word effort, it, it sort of just, it just curls up in a little ball and says, no, not me. <laughs> you know, huddle in my room or something. So, but it, so the first quality is intention is an, effort, is an application. It's an application of mind, an application of heart, Make the intention to connect. What kind of effort is that? It means you scan around, you look around, you find the bits that don't want to be here, and you say, okay, I know you. And you find the bits that want to push forward, you say, okay, you're there. And you find the bits that are sort of huddled off in the corner somewhere, saying, oh, don't touch me. Okay, you're there, you know shame bits and the ambition bits and the pain in the shoulder and the okay here we are mapping it out and then just noticing that and then maybe feeling of being present coming to the body breathing in breathing out just knowing these places and starting to generate this quality of acceptance wholeness we're all part you know a mad uncle you know <laughs> Whatever it is in your system, the twittering voice, you know, the aversion, the violence, whatever it is. We're all part of that, the family. Getting a big enough space to be with that. And it takes application because we're not going into their storylines. We're not letting any one of them take over and feel it's the only, only act in town. Yeah, there's my depression and there's my joyfulness and there's my playfulness and there's my whatever, you know. You get the sense of the wholeness and they begin to know each other and, and the balance begins to occur. When you have a midline or, or midpoint which is of harmony, connection, empathy, you know, it starts to, you get that resonance traveling through the field and things start to soften and, and merge. So remember, so that's an application of a lot of patience, patience, spaciousness, collecting oneself within the form of the day. Itself is an effort, the effort to restrain, the effort to not go out, you know, the effort to not drive in your car and chunder off to town or whatever. Sometimes that's an effort. <laughs> You know, just the effort to stay. You're already making that by keeping the eight precepts here. You're already making that by turning up. You're already making an effort. Can you appreciate the quality of that? Can you let your energy say, well, just being within that first of all and, and feeling complete with that, starting to find a balance within that and feeling the sense of, yeah, by day three or day four, 
yeah, I'm starting to sort of feel, yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I've arrived here. I'm not struggling to be here. Uh, I've, I've actually, it takes time for your system to adjust. Details, filling it, filling up the details. So, and, and the beauty of it is, is that the more that settledness, that completeness arrives, the more your energy starts to be more uh, bounteous, more plentiful, but in a soothe, w- soothing way. It's not a driven way. It's a sense of an energy of being. Being present. And we may not even realize that because it's, it's not the thoughts. It's not a physical feeling. It's not an emotion. It's another dimension that we perhaps don't have words for, but it's the thing, it's the quality that allows the rest of it to happen without obstruction. Awareness, spaciousness, it's the quality, the dimension that allows sangsara to roll along without getting snagged in it, without taking up issues with it. And, that, and the more you relate in that way to the temporal, the conditioned, the felt, the imagined, the plainful, the pleasant, in that non-conflicting, non-grabbing way, the clearer that dimension becomes, the more palpable it becomes, the more experiential it becomes. Mm-hmm. And there's an energy in it, an energy of presence which is steady, stable, bright. It may not manifest as very much at all, and yet we can find ourselves feeling slightly amazed that this funny voice going on in my head doesn't seem to bother me that much anymore. You know, just, you know, there's an emotional spaciousness. It can occur in an emotional sense, which is where we often find ourselves getting strong reactions and thrown in and thrown out. On the heart level. Energy and effort. So this piece can be, you know, this is part of our doing is to open and enter this domain. And it can be done or affected, applied, apply oneself to one's compulsiveness in a appropriate way uh, and it will start to open up. Sometimes these applications are very personal. We deal with particular pieces of our psychology. I think a retreat I taught a while ago, uh, day two, a woman comes to see me and says, "Uh, uh, sorry Angie, I can't, I can't do this retreat. I can't stay with this retreat. So I'm taking leave. So I thought, oh yeah, okay. Right, well yeah, sometimes it's like that. We talked a little bit you know, about how these things happen for people and so on. So, well, you know, good, good. Well, hope it goes well for you. We can try again. Okay. Next day she's still there. About day three she comes, day, day four says, so Ajahn, I I can't seem to do this retreat, but I seem to still be here. <laughs> uh-huh, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? You know, and uh, 
yeah, well, keep watching the space, and whenever you feel you need to leave, just uh, that's that's okay with me, you know, and uh, be well and not really a problem. And you know, day six, she's still there. And, you know, and I don't seem to be doing very much in my practice, you know. <laughs> I feel I, I don't feel I'm do- good enough to be here. I'm not really doing as what everybody else is doing. I can't seem to keep up with the routines. I don't think I'm really good enough to be here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes it's like that, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah. Okay. You know. Well, you judge it for yourself. What feels right for you right now. Day eight, she's still there. <laughs> Comes to the end of the retreat, day ten. <laughs> she says, I don't really want to leave now. <laughs> so what is it, you know? The sense of, you know, working with a sense of I've got to be. I've got to be good enough. Working with that feeling, I can't make it. I can't really can't do this. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I've had that one. Yeah. I've really got it. You know, and thinking I'm going to have to push my way past this guy. You know, I've got to find an excuse to get out. And think, no, that's cool. That's okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so all those sort of psychologies of. I'm, you know, that come up if I'm forced to be here, I've got to be here, I've got to make sure that I'm good as the rest, the guy in charge is going to disapprove of me, and this and that, and, the other. and meeting these and watching them melt. The feeling I've got to be here, watching that melt. The feeling I've got to leave, watching that melt. The feeling I'm good, not, not good enough, watching that melt. feeling I'm not as good as the rest, I can't keep up. Despair and self-hatred. Oh yeah, yeah, we yeah we have that one too, don't we? Yeah, watching that one melt. So you know, you can actually just holding that in just the intention, just to be connect. Yeah. And sometimes it means just pausing on some of those knee-jerk reactions you don't even think are reactions because they they become who we are who we sense ourselves, particularly who we sense ourselves in relationship to others. Very strong feeling for humans. How we sense ourselves is often how we sense we are sensed by others as not good enough, as stronger, as better, as approving, as disapproving, as welcome, as not welcome, as comparatively bigger, smaller, weaker, stronger, wiser, whatever, you know, all those kinds of things. And if somebody isn't actually going playing the tennis game with us throwing it back to us it just go our stuff goes out into thin air and doesn't come back you know, wow where did that one go <laughs> watching it melt so actually you know being on a group retreat is often testing because some of these signals start coming up obedience conformity on time, routine, serious practice. We're looking for the Olympic standards here. <laughs> Highest of the high. Complete awakening. <laughs> Unrelenting mindfulness. 
시시라랑 And there's some guy sitting in front of you who looks like he is a rock. There's some person sitting there, I'm sure she is Tara embodied. She's so sweet, so so graceful, so joyful, and I'm so mean and crabby and grouchy. You know, you talk to this person after a treat and they say, geez, I just about survived, you know. And it can be not even uh, the physical people around you. It could be the people somewhere in your, in your gene pool or in your memory bank. Yeah. Uh, when you're in monastic tradition, you've got a huge lineage of people standing behind you, looking over the, looking over the shoulder, going, not good enough. Not as strong as, not as effortful, not as committed, not as resolute. You know, cringes with pain. You know. So you have this whole kind of lineage behind you looking over, looking over going, pathetic, isn't it? <laughs> so somewhere you've got to kind of shake it off. Can't, you can't you can't get whole if you're dealing with all these fragments of your super ego sitting around you muttering at you. <laughs> takes that takes an application. You know, what can you feel? What can you be with? Where's your steadying gonna occur? Where's your sense of wholeness gonna start? It doesn't mean you're gonna suddenly bingo, come out, complete. But where does it start? Where do you start to feel, this is my center, this is where I am, I can be with this. And, and then the realization there's a potency, there's an energy in that, gladness in that. And I found some point, could be in my mind, could be in my heart, could be in my body, actually it's a meeting of all these. And the idea is that you, as you meet it in one area, as you meet it in your heart, you try to bring it into your body, you try to bring the acceptance into your body accepting down the nerve endings you know or it can be the sense of firming up in your body you bring that into your heart you know and you get some clarity around that specifically this is application to put aside that which is harmful so we can talk about kusala akusala this can mean skillful wholesome or just plain bad akusala that which makes me feel bad, the staleness, the depression, the defensiveness, you know, feels bad, just putting that aside. Picking up what is the good, the bright, the present, the fearless. However those things are experienced. That's the first bit to say,
second thing to say is uh, in meditation we have this opportunity to change our mode of attention. So I've talked about intention, you know, setting up the right intention, orienting around the right intention. And maybe this intentionality can shift from steady to joyful to quiet to, you know, you get a sense it's always got this kind of holistic offering presence back to you, offering your presence back to you, your presence which is so spent on a thousand things that have done you little good, offering it back to you. You know, so it always has that quality to it. And so it fills you. So we're not burning ourselves out with effort. We're actually applying ourselves to draw back our energy. Let it gather. Intention, attention, we're shifting the modes of how we attend. Attention, you could say, is the map. We spread out a map. Now, this map may be very much uh, mm, the references on it, conditioned references, who I am, the map of who I am. What is that? Defined by perhaps my performance capacities, perhaps the degree of tragedy in my life, perhaps who I am with other people. These can be references in our in our map and we're saying this is one way of looking at it there are other maps you can present i was looking at uh, a map in the when i was in the nuns uh, vihara they have a map on the wall of uh, the, the the planet and you have different kinds of maps and one of the standard maps that's been used for uh, many years called mercator's projection Look at Greenland is the same size as Africa on this map. Actually, Greenland, Africa is 14 times bigger than Greenland. <laughs> but the map works in terms of navigation. That is, it gives you a fairly, very accurate sense of how to get from one place to another. So it was great for sailors. They didn't know, they didn't know how big Greenland was. Nobody was going to go there anyway. <laughs> You, know, you don't go wandering around in Greenland, so it doesn't really matter. You just know, you know, the directions. Yeah. So these distortions didn't matter. It was an accurate enough map for what they needed to do. And you can actually, so you start to imagine somehow you get that map that that is true, because that's what you see. But you, you take a, a three-dimensional sphere and transferring it into a two-dimensional plane. You know, it's a radical distortions bound to occur. There's no way you can do it. So, what do you? What map do you have of yourself? What? Hmm? What projection is there? <laughs> sure, it works to a degree, but what's it? What's it working for? You know, it's often working for gives you a good way to, per- to perform, to get by in the society, to this, that, this, that, this, that. But in terms of feeling integration with yourself and awakening, it's pretty wonky. 
And unfortunately, most, most of this mapping is imprinted uh, conceptually because people tell you it. They tell you what you should be. You read about who you should be. So it's conceptually printed. Concepts are abstract. So I can say patience. So we get, what does that mean? Probably means having to wait a long time. (laughs) Means frustration. (laughs) Thank you for your patience. Means we just, you know, we just put you through a frustrating experience and we don't want to get any negative feedback. So we say, (laughs) thank you for your patience. (laughs) So that's what that means. And what does effort mean? Effort means work your butt off, even though, it's, even though it <laughs> makes you feel bad. <laughs> With the feeling of fear, of punishment if you don't do enough, and proper rewards if you do do enough. So is that what effort means? So some of these concepts can have all kinds of emotional resonances that perhaps we don't even really fully understand because we just follow the concept. You don't track what it's actually doing to you on an emotional level or even a somatic level. Remember Ajahn Sumedha saying he was, you know, teaching, sitting on a retreat one time and then sitting for the afternoon and the teacher would say, now is the time to make the unremitting effort to sustain a sitting posture for two hours and immediately started to feel I want to get out of here you know tense nerve but actually quite able to sit comfortably for two hours if he didn't put that that idea in his mind so the sense of the compression that comes and and the afflictive energies that can be aroused through concepts that by themselves are really neutral, but what they've come to mean for us and the nuances in them. Now, we often handle the world in terms of concepts because it's extremely useful. I can think of Greenland. You know, I don't have to go there and think of it. I never touched it. But we can talk about it. And so this gives human beings a tremendous power and capacity to juggle things on the virtual plane, so much so that it becomes uh, a a domain that we um, abide in. But then we start to use it for ourselves and others. And it's an abstract. And you, you apply that to an organic being. It's the wrong map. Now, there's another way in which we experience or can experience that I encourage. It's called, instead of concept, it's percept. Slightly different. Maybe the word needs to be, perhaps it's even the wrong word. But it is the most immediate, direct, first impression. Most immediate, direct, first impression that we have. Before we get 
the concept to wrap it up and define it. So you might come in here and feel percept of space. There we go, it's a room, it's uh, octagonal, whatever it is, you know. Spirit rock, dumb hall. That's a concept. What's the percept is the immediate experience that touches you. It could be quiet space. It could be open, quiet space. Something like that. That's the kind of felt, it's got a feeling to it. So percept has always got some kind of feeling to it. It's concept is not about feeling. It's about being able to organize something. So if I, you know, if I went down to the hall and said, there's a fire broken out in a warm, light, open space. They go, what the hell? <laughs> Doesn't work. You know, and say, oh, you mean <laughs> the Dhamma Hall, whatever it's called. So it's useful for that. But I don't want to go and sit in a concept. I want to sit in something that's more directly experienced. That's percept. So you see a bird and your mind goes, oh no, that's cool. Call it what you like. Call it a blue bottle if you like. But what actually is the percept of that? Flying, graceful, wow. You know, I bet the bird is thinking, oh, I'm sick of flying around these wings. My wings are giving me hell today. <laughs> but from down here, <laughs> this looks like, well, I really wish I could do that. It looks so cool, you know. <laughs> so the percept is really, isn't even, you know, isn't a kind of accurate description of the world. It's a, it's a, it's a meaningful reference to what's happening for you right now. It's how you're bonding to the world, how you're connecting to experience. It's not literally accurate, but it's pragmatically accurate. It's, that's what's actually happening for you. Yeah. That's what's happening for you. That's the bit that you can get to that you could really meditate with. That's what's stirring you up or calming you down or giving you joy or giving you grief is percept. Now, certain concepts may introduce those, but you want to be quite careful with them and that they don't draw your energy into juggling concepts. Then we get, I should be more patient, equanimous, peaceful, kind, gentle, passionate, wise. Tons of concepts. I need another one. I'm not getting it, so I need another one. More rarefied concept to add to that. I need to be the abiding of union of emptiness and knowledge. That sounds good. <laughs> yeah, I need a Buddhist concept on top of that. Yeah. I still don't feel right, so maybe another concept. But, you know, we're actually not going to that domain. Sometimes these concepts get so loaded that it's almost best not to use them. So you notice I don't really use a lot of the, the language that you may be familiar with in Buddhist language, not because I have any, I really, uh, you know, value these experiences, but the language starts to acquire stale, stale attitudes, stale energies, stale, you know. In fact, you know, for my thing is that the more I get into Buddhism, less I know less I know it, <laughs> you know, 
And the more I know it, the less I get into it. So it's always a kind of bit of a juggle. So in percept, so we get, this is very useful, we get the percept of the body, perception of the body, is the here and now sense of what it feels like to you. It maybe feels like a number of things, like a heaviness here and a lightness there and a itchiness there and a tightness there and an openness there. And within that we may be able to sense the rhythm, the rhythm, the rhythm. And we may be able to sense the space around. We may be able to sense a feeling of oh, this is the center and this is what's around it. And maybe the rhythm can, ex- can connect the center to the periphery. Maybe we can be breathing in and breathing out. But if you look at it in terms, you experience it more in terms of the direct percept, what does it feel like? I sense you're more likely to have a wholesome relationship to, to breathing than you do if you come in from got to do an hour of anapanasati, mindfulness of breathing, this and the other. My, my imagine it, my guess, because of what conceptually we can do around that. And as I say, you know, the first intention we're setting up with this is is paying attention, gathering attention, collecting attention. Looking attention carefully, how we how we use that, what maps we use, use these maps of these elemental properties we can experience of firmness, earth element, vitality, warmth, brightness, fire element, cohesion, flow, connectedness, water element. When you're supple, the suppleness, the flowingness. Movement, breathing, sense of things shifting, moving, air element. Yeah. So rather than the other maps of the body which work well in other circumstances in meditation, you could just use these maps. It tends to, to mean that we're getting a much more direct apprehension of body. I mean, I, I don't know my spleen. I'm sure I've got one, but I don't know that perceptually cause me pain I would I don't know my gallbladder but you know it's there I'm ready to generate kindness towards it but I can know the firmness the movement the spaciousness the warmth and being with that and as you begin to sense these elements like how do they come into a harmony so I'm not rigid and brittle so I'm not so watery, I'm just oozing all over the floor. <laughs> I've got no kind of firmness. So I'm not so mobile that nothing sticks together. You know, there's a sense of there's a, there's a, a home base. We're not just wind. There's a home base that's felt. And the vitality, or is it overcooking? Too much juice? or stagnant and moderating these and generally the moderation is through recognizing what elements balance so if we're getting all kind of heated up 
then what about some earth? Where's the firming? So, you know, if we, and this, this also transfers usefully to our energetic or emotional domains. That's why it's a useful map, because we certainly get energetically rigid and energetically cooking and energetically blowing out and energetically flowing or oozing. And similarly, emotionally, we get that way. You know, we're getting fired up emotionally, getting rigid. So just looking at that, then in a sense, what is needed here? Just the application to where's the firming, where's the cooling, getting overcooked, overheating. Just bring up the idea and the sense of cooling, cooling, pleasantly cooling. Or if it's damp and stagnant, warming, warming, you know. So it can be an emotional resonance. It could be finding places in your body which feel that warmth and spreading your attention around that. Or we talk about warm-heartedness, don't we? A lot of our language is actually perceptually based. Warm-hearted person is probably the same blood heat as a cold-hearted person. Tight-fisted people's hands are pretty much the same as people who are open-handed. So a lot of it is perceptual relating to, to energies. Yeah. He's a real hothead. Cold-hearted, hothead. Mm. Windbag. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really getting into a flow now. <laughs> you know, what is happening? <laughs> and yet those are quite meaningful for us, aren't they? Yeah, got it. So here's a real windbag. Oh, yeah. She's in a flow right now. Oh, yeah, that's great. And so, but then on a conceptual level, this is kind of madness or poetry. But on a perceptual level, it's spot on. Feeling tight, feeling loose. What's the right tonality? And actually the, the rhythm of breathing or the, the felt percept of breathing can moderate it all. This is why the Buddha taught it. Because it does flow, pervade the whole body. The air doesn't. And you don't have to make it do it. But as you come into connection, and it may be a while taking the time to actually come into connection, and you just listen kind of innocently to it, you feel it does flow. Belly, chest, throat, opening, easing, softening, relaxing, brightening, clearing, sharpening, pausing, waiting. You know, this goes through these senses, these felt senses. It's important to track those felt senses. I was saying earlier, also the intentionality. So we're breathing in with 
let it be the way it is. We're breathing out with, may all beings be well. These are not necessarily spoken. You know, I have to use words, but they're, you know, it's those resonances. That it, that, and what's the right one for you? All the time in the world, you might say. Find that a useful resonance. All the time in the world to just let one out-breath do its thing and get to the end of it and wait, let it rest there without being thanked for my patience. (laughs) Breathing in joyfully. You haven't got to breathe in joyfully. You haven't got to make it joyful. But just try to to, if you like, sense your breathing through that lens, through that particular projection. What's he talking about? When you look at someone with a joyful eye, when you listen to someone with a sympathetic ear, what are you talking about? <laughs> Your ears don't look any different to me. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. But we're not used to using that map in that way. But it can be. It's a useful map. Map of percept which carries meaning, felt meaning. And that, so we're moderating our attention, looking with that map. How compassionately do I sit? Hmm? How can you sit with compassion? Hmm. You you get it. You look at that, look into that. Hmm. Well, but simply speaking, just looking at the, the felt meanings that may be present, applying yourself to those seeing which one, how you can remap your experience in a very, it's a very simple, direct way that's going to transfer that meaning right into your nerve endings, into how you hold your body, how your body feels held, how you hold your life, how you hold yourself in relationship to others. And this is going to cause shifts in your self-structure not because you're trying to make it but you stop making it the other way Listen to those voices in your head like it's a flock of little birds flying around you. This one's a jay, this one's a crow. Look at that one. There's a flock of thoughts running around you. Look at it like that. Feel that pain in your knee as a strange creature that's kind of sucking and chewing and Sometimes it's like fire, sometimes it's like, you know, look at it like that. So it gives you a chance to just change some of those 
gridlock attitudes we have to defending, to forcing, to making, where our conceptual system isn't the right map to use. It doesn't work on that level. It doesn't work in terms of our resources. It doesn't work in terms of our application. It doesn't even work in terms of what we're applying ourselves to. No wonder it doesn't work. <laughs> and we could spend 10 days here with all the good concepts in the world and none of them working because they're not translating into direct experience. But use one or two simple ones and go into it in depth and in fullness and a whole new domain starts to open up.